Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast today. I'm Adam Hoffberg, and we are joined by Desiree Stage. Desiree is a photographer. She's a writer. She's a suicide awareness activist, and she's really involved in the suicide prevention community. She has been a winner of the SAMHSA Voice Award and really an accomplished writer across many media outlets. We're going to talk today about her project called Live Through This, which is really all about the lived experience movement. So welcome, Des. Hey. Thanks for being with us here today. A lot of folks may have heard of you. For those who don't, let's hear a little bit about you, sort of where you came from, what your roots are, and what led you into this line of work. Oh, man. You have an hour? <laughs> let's see. Uh, the suicide affected me kind of at a, at a young age when uh, we lost a family friend uh, to suicide. and. Uh, later, around when I was 13 or 14, uh, transitioning into adolescence, um, depression hit me for the first time, and it w- I started questioning my sexuality, and around the same time, one of my own friends took his life, um, and all of these things sort of happened at the same time, uh, and I, I became, I, I was also having my own suicidal thoughts for the first time, and I, I became really, I guess, fascinated by by this um, and scared and I wanted to change it. So I took on, I, I wanted to be a suicide preventionist since I was 16 years old. Um, for whatever reason, that didn't work out for a long time. I tried to go the academic route and it, it didn't work. Um, and back when I was in school, I guess the last time I was in school was around 2007. So it was still pretty taboo, I think, to um, be working uh, on suicide research, or it definitely was in the program that I was in. Um, so I, I left. Um, I left school and moved to New York. I taught myself photography. Uh, it was, it was how I coped with what was happening. Um, around that time, I had just had my own suicide attempt. I did, I did end up attempting when I was 23. Uh, and. I had had a breakup in a, a violent relationship, and one of my another friend died by suicide. So again, there was a lot happening, and I just took my camera and I focused everything I had on that, um, and I started photographing concerts. Um, when I moved to New York, I got a job in the music industry, so photographing concerts became really easy, uh, and that's how I really learned how to use my camera, and. About three years into that, I, I kind of got bored. I wasn't feeling fulfilled. I had um, I'd set out as a young person to change something in the world, and I wasn't doing that with concert pictures, no matter how cool it was that I got to interview my heroes and photograph them. So I just kind of decided uh, to, to pursue a personal project, and I immediately went back to this idea of, oh, maybe I can um, maybe I can do something around suicide with my camera and I hit on the idea for live through this and uh, what I do with live through this is is really simple Um, I sit down with a suicide attempt survivor and I just say hey tell me your story Um, you know what what led you down a path of of being suicidal and what what keeps you alive essentially some people have said oh it's so weird that you focus on death and my response is no I, I focus on life and survival um, and after I interview them, I make a portrait because I think 
for so long we have um, looked away from suicide attempt survivors or, or even people with any kind of lived experience. We haven't really wanted to hear what they had to say. And so Live Through This is all about, it's about being there and being present and looking people in the eye and listening to what they have to say um, and really allowing people to have a voice for the first time in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's really incredible. And I like, it's so powerful that you're able to channel, uh, channel these difficult life experiences into something, you know, really positive and, and bigger than you. And, you know, when we think about suicide attempt survivors, I think, like you said, a lot of times they face a lot of shame and stigma. One of the statements that I, I see pinned here Twitter is that suicide attempt survivors cannot be stereotyped and that we are anyone and we are everyone. I feel like live through this, that, that really is like a reflection of the message you're trying to get across. Tell us a little bit more about that and why it's so important. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people carry around interesting ideas about who who is affected by suicide. Uh, I think if you were to look at a picture of me, maybe you could make the assumption that I am obviously that person. But the project, I've interviewed 180 people across the U.S., um, and more and more, the more people I meet, the more diverse the project becomes, both in look, uh, you know, in the portraits and and in the stories. There's such a depth and breadth of experiences that uh, it really could be anybody who's affected by suicide. And I think this culture of othering that that we've kind of cultivated in in our society is almost more harmful than anything else when it comes to suicide because, you know, anything, you know, life adversity happens to everybody and with adversity comes suicidality sometimes. So knowing that, that no one is immune to suicide, I think is really important. I like that you use the term sort of you humanize suicide prevention or you bring humanity to it with personal stories and, and names and, and in particular faces. Um, with the photos involved, is there a story or a, an example of one of the stories you've heard that has impacted you or or helped you sort of process uh, what it means to be a suicide attempt survivor? Yeah, um, very early on in the project, I started the project in 2010. Um, very early on, I thought that I should not be a part of the project, that my voice should not be there because somehow my presence would muddy my message. Um, and I interviewed God. I think Krista Andrews was probably the fifth or sixth person that I interviewed. And in interviewing her, I learned that we met in New York through our tattooist, but I learned that she went to the same elementary school I did in Miami, Florida had a few of the same teachers, had so many parallel life experiences um, that kind of led her to suicidality that it just kind of flipped a switch in me when um, after I made her portrait and I, I was going home that day, I was sitting on the train and I was, I was crying. I was the crying girl on the train. Uh, and I... I felt that day that my story also needed to be heard and it needed to be a part of the project. Um, and that there was nothing wrong with my, my, me being there, like nothing about me being in the project would actually muddy the message. Um, if anything, it would make it stronger. And that's 
that's the story that it was the first one that really hit me hard. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I think it's helpful for, for me and for our listeners to think about some of the context around this, which is, as you've already said, that it's been such a silent issue and your project is really about bringing this out into the open and, and reducing some of the stigma around it. What do you think it means to be a suicide attempt survivor in this new era of, of lived experience? More than anything, I think it means that we can use our experiences um, and our resilience and our survival to help save other people, to help influence the research, to help make trainings more robust. Um, you know, in in the past, we've we've spent a lot of time studying people who had already died, and I think. I don't know how useful that is in every situation when you can have somebody sitting next to you who says, Here, here's why I wanted to die. Here are all of the things that I was going through. Here's what I was thinking in those moments. Here's what I was thinking right after. Um, you know, you have, you have the pros. You have the people with the experience and the expertise um, or the expertise in that experience. To, to tell you and to guide you. So I think that's that's the value of the lived experience movement. It's a real gold mine in terms of God, any anything across the spectrum. You know, how do we deal with people who are actively suicidal? Uh how do we how do we train first responders? How do we train people in the ER? How do we how do we educate people to, to catch the signs and to walk somebody through a suicidal crisis? Because I think um in a lot of ways, suicide prevention is unique in that we don't have that many professionals um, who are suicide experts. Most mental health professionals are not suicide experts. And you don't need a professional necessarily to walk someone through a crisis. Being suicidal is about social connection. And anybody can can provide that for a suicidal person, you know, at least in the moment of crisis. Then once you diffuse that crisis, you can help. You can help find help, um, and so I think that that's really where our experiences shine, as it were. Absolutely. Just to kind of keep on this for a minute, because I think it's really important, and some of the at the heart of a lot of what you're doing is that this is really contrasted in a lot of other media portrayals of suicide and mental illness, and the expectations about recovery and support after trauma or, or a difficult uh, life experience. Could you comment a little bit about how you're taking media in the new direction with it, with how people sort of think about suicide with your project? That's a tough one. Um, I think, I don't know if I have a good answer to that question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I think that having lived through this there as a resource that anyone can kind of come across is really helpful. Um, I will often point journalists um, and artists. I've consulted with, with journalists. I've, I've consulted with one of the actors on the Broadway play Dear Evan Hansen. Um, I give them the link to the website and I give them the guidelines and I just say, hey, you know, go explore this. Go click on the picture of somebody who... Um, who draws you in and, and see what their story is. Uh, I think it's kind of uh, one of those things where it's good that it's, it can be self-directed. Um, 
And then when they come back and ask questions, I, I can answer I can answer that for them. And so it's a, a little less do this, don't do this, and more you know how how can we how can we dig a little deeper with this? How can we make a storyline about suicide more meaningful? How can we make it more nuanced? How can we avoid cliches and stereotypes? Yeah, as I was exploring your page, I really was uh, drawn in by the photos, obviously, as you know, the this visual that, again, puts a face to this. And I mean, the photos come across as so um, vulnerable. And I also felt like they also really uh, are dignified. And, and you really are able to capture people in this uh, really uh, special moment. Could you talk a little bit about sort of how that uh, plays out on a photo shoot, you know, how you sort of capture these moments in such a uh, effective way. <laughs> it's it's funny people say that is the hardest part of the two or three hours that we spend together, you know. Um, I do the interview first, and usually I just say, you know, tell me who you are uh, and, and what your story is. And so we'll talk about everything under the sun around their suicide attempts, around their mental health, around their coping skills, and whatever else comes up. And we'll do that for a couple hours. And then the moment the camera comes out, they're like, oh, God, I'm uncomfortable now, Um, (laughs) which I'm used to. Um, And I think if there is anything that's really coming through that, that indicates a connection between me and the person in the portrait. Um, it's because we shared this experience together. Um, and I feel like, I feel a lot like, even if I don't necessarily keep in contact with all of the people in the project, I'd say I'm still in contact with about 90% of them. Um, they feel like family to me. Uh, because you in this situation that we're in together, you, you kind of have to cut through the crap. We sit down, we both know we've had a, similar experiences on some level, and we just talk about that. You know, there's no weather, there's no, I don't know, whatever people talk about that's small talk. We just talk about real things, um, and usually by the end we're laughing. So we have we have that between us when I make the portrait. Um, and the only thing I really tell them is um, just look into the lens. You do whatever you want with your face. So you'll notice some people look really serious and some people are smiling. Um, and I do have a habit of kind of uh, joking around with them. And I'm trying to stop doing that because I don't, I don't want to influence what happens in that moment. I don't want to influence what happens on their face, but sometimes I can't help it. Yeah, that's a really uh, nice segue into the S-Word documentary because in that documentary, you're sort of featured and followed through some of this process and we really get to see how those interviews uh, look and and what the photo shoot um, sometimes looks like as well with a few examples. Could you talk to us a little bit about your experience with the S-Word and what are your thoughts on this documentary? Well, I definitely got to experience what people on the other side of my camera experience, except, you know, with the moving image and for three years. (laughs) It was really uncomfortable um, just because, you know, I I like to be, I like to be the person behind the camera. Um, But Lisa, the director, Lisa Klein, she contacted me really early on 
um, when she was still doing research, when she didn't know exactly what she wanted the S word to be, um, I don't think I was ever supposed to be in the movie. I was just kind of consulting with her and answering some questions and connecting her to people. Um, and when filming started, you know, she she finally, she came to AAS, the American Association of Suicidology Conference in 2014. And I think that's when she really started to see, oh, I want I want this to be about mainly about people with lived experience. Uh, I think she saw the the momentum that the lived experience movement was seeing, and she wanted to document that. Um, and it was God, it it was a it was a really great experience, but it was also um, emotionally draining, partially because I don't like to be in front of cameras partially because that level of vulnerability um, can be so tough, you know, and I tell my story every day, but there are, there are parts of it, uh, especially when you're actively struggling. There's a, there's a a scene in the movie. uh, It was a, she was asking us to do video blogs and I, I had, I wanted to cut myself and I think I had tried um, I didn't have my standard implement because I don't keep that in the house. Um, and then I lied about it to my wife and I somehow in that, in that moment thought to actually make a video blog of it. Uh, and that, that's in the movie and it, God, watching it is so hard. Um, it's, it's just so real. It's, it's too much me, I think. Um, but being involved and, and, I'm close with a lot of people in the movie. So it, it's just, it was such an intimate experience and such a really incredible experience. And I think the final product will help a lot of people. Um, I can't wait for, for more, more and more people to see it. Um, Cause there, are, you know, there's my story and that it is what it is, but then you, you have Kalechi's story and you have Craig's story and you have the Toe family and you have all of these, these amazing people um, sharing about their experiences and there's there's someone there are people that I think almost anybody can identify with in the movie yeah I completely agree and and I I was able to preview it at this most recent AAS conference and I have to say you know it was beautiful and powerful but I left completely drained completely you know it it, it was an emotionally uh strong movie um and just the stories were so rich and vivid and and somewhat raw and 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 in that way, um, we re- I really was able to connect with with the stories and um, yeah, listeners will definitely post a link to the preview for the S word, which is um, currently sort of being pre-screened in various places, but uh, will come out more widely soon. So I know we're touching on a lot of things. I want to just because uh, you you have a lot going on. But I want to touch on two more things sort of around um, getting the message out. You know, you're big on social media, and I wanted to touch on sort of two things that you're doing. The first is your campaign called Stay, which I think relates back to the idea you were saying at, uh, earlier, which is that, you know, anybody can be the support to, to help somebody through a tough time or a crisis. Tell us more about your uh, hashtag Stay campaign. That was an experiment, a total accident. Um I 
kind of an odd story. I kept getting emails from this company about, you know, try our product, just do a demo. And it was a, it's a crowdfunding t-shirt um, company called Bonifier. And so I'd had this, this idea for a very simple t-shirt rolling around in my head for a while. And it was the word stay um, in kind of an organic handwriting font. And I, I wanted it to look a little bit like an EKG, um, like a heartbeat. And so I, I opened Photoshop and I started fiddling around and I came on a design that I liked and I, I put it up. And uh, I think the goal was that I had to sell 11 shirts. And I thought, well, I think I can do that. Um, you know, 11 shirts turned into, I think, almost a thousand. Something about it really resonated with people and not just attempt survivors, um, also lost survivors, also people who you know, have friends who struggle. Um, I've heard stories of, of people with lived experience putting on the shirt on a bad day and saying, I just need, I need something extra today and this shirt makes me feel good. Uh, the, the response has just been incredible. I've heard stories of, you know, on Twitter or Facebook, people that I don't even know, they'll tweet at me and say, oh, I saw someone wearing your shirt today. And I, I, I thought about live through this and you know, how cool is that? That there's, there's this silly t-shirt that people are connecting over. Um, that was, it was an experiment. It was an accident. I, I love that it took on a life of its own. Yeah, that's cool. And, and like you said, it kind of raises that consciousness or that awareness around suicide and suicide prevention. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's a cool design as well. So that's great. One other social media project I wanted to touch on today was, your suicide in the media bot. This sort of, again, circles back to some of the same stuff we've been talking about, which is about trying to get, you know, positive, safe messaging out there around suicide. And tell us a little bit about this bot you have on Twitter. Oh, the bot. Another experiment. Um, I really care about safe messaging. And I really care about creativity. And I, I want to know what will work best in terms of depictions and portrayals of suicidal people in journalism and in art. Um, what will people identify with? What will help them? What, what will be a meaningful plot line that isn't just about being edgy, um, which we see a lot of. You know, I, I see a lot of portrayals of suicide that, that don't further a plot. Um, or, you know, there are stories that kind of give people the rundown on exactly how somebody took their own life. And it just, it seems unnecessary. Um, I've done a lot of work uh, with guidelines, and I, I obviously have to keep the guidelines in mind when I, when I publish stories on the website. You know, those stories are definitely edited. Sometimes people will go into deep detail about how they, they tried to end their lives. And I take most of that out, but then I, I ask questions, you know, so an, a good example of that is um, when we, we see suicide on TV or in film, we often see overdose and it looks like this peaceful kind of, oh, I'm going to sleep and everything's going to be fine sort of thing. Um, and so when people talk to me about how they tried to overdose, sometimes I will leave in a line or two about how painful it was, uh, which kind of violates the guidelines, I would think, but also it speaks to uh, 
some of these stereotypes and myths that we have. So I'm I'm trying to figure out where where that that middle line is. What when are we censoring things with our guidelines? When are our guidelines a little too um, fear driven? I think a lot of a lot of us in suicide prevention are driven by fear, and that's valid. But sometimes it gets in the way of our mission. So I created this bot. I got bored one day, and I was I like to code, um, and I was I was trying to figure out how I could make a bot, and then it became okay. Well, maybe maybe we work with the guidelines with this bot. Maybe it tweets out the the URL to the guidelines. Maybe it tweets out an idea. Maybe it tweets out uh, language stuff like don't use commit, use this instead. I haven't worked on it in a while. Um, I'd say in a good four months. So there are some ideas in there that I would change now that I need to go back and change. And there are some new ideas. Um, and I would, I, it's mostly aimed at journalists right now. Um, I really want to expand that in the wake of 13 Reasons Why and S-Town and, you know, the discovery and basically anything that is a Netflix original has a, a strong central suicide plot point for some reason. Um, I think we are really missing the mark for creatives um, as, as prevention people. Um, so I want to expand that for not just journalists, but also creatives who are thinking about suicide uh, long term. You know, when you write a book or you make a film, you're not thinking about suicide for a week or two weeks. When, like when you're writing a, a journalism piece, you are really in it for the long haul. Um, and I think people like that could use a little guidance. So I'm hoping to expand it in the future, but it is, it's, uh, it's pretty, I'd say it's pretty raw. It's a, a fun little toy that I think has a lot of potential. Exactly. I think that, that you said so much there, but you know, the idea that it has a lot of potential to help guide messaging around suicide and, you know, like talk about everybody's on social media, everybody's sort of, you know, citizen journalists or whatever and whatnot. So we all need to start thinking about how when we talk about it, it can impact um, others as well. So so really uh, interesting projects. But just turning back to live through this and sort of thinking ahead to the future, where do you see this project going and, and where do you see it taking you? I never know how to answer the question. <laughs> I plan on continuing to do it. Um, I recently got a grant from Philosophy, a skincare products company. And um, one of the big things that that grant is going to allow me to do is to collect four stories from women in underrepresented populations. Um, and I get to kind of expand how I'm collecting them. So it's going to be, you know, I'm going to have professional audio and professional video of all of these. So not only are you going to see the, the text version of the story or the portrait, you're also going to be able to see this person move and, and how they express themselves. And, when I've done that in the past, I've done it a couple times. People really respond to that, so I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for that. So those four stories will come out over the the next year. I'm also trying to write a book, but I <laughs> I don't know the beginning and I don't know the ending. So that's that's stalling me, and I think that's just a, a I think it's a tactic, an avoidance tactic. But I'm working on that. I'm working on the project. I really. I'm excited that I get to do more with guidelines. I recently worked with um, 
John Ackerman in Ohio on their state guidelines. So I'm, I'm really interested in, in kind of getting involved in all of that in addition to just making the project bigger and better. Um, I'm also occasionally Skyping in or going in and doing a guest share with people who are teaching the project in graduate programs. And I think that's probably actually the most meaningful thing that's happened with the project in its six years of existence because we have, what, 47 states that don't have mandatory suicide crisis training uh, for their mental health professionals or their future mental health professionals. So to see that that there are um, faculty members who find value in the project and who are using it to to educate our future professionals, I I couldn't ask for anything more, you know, because those people I I, I can credit my my therapist with really keeping me healthy, and I think and they're people who had empathy, who kind of got it, and I am I imagine also who have lived experience just based on things they've said. But having more of that in the world could never be a bad thing. So that's been really great. And we're using the project for um, some qualitative research, um, not only about attempt survivors, but also driven by attempt survivors. There are attempt survivors on the, the research team, and a person in the project actually uh, helped us come up with our research question for one of the, the studies that we're doing. So. There's, there's a lot going on, and I'm happy to just kind of keep building on all of that. It's really fascinating. So just a closing question before we kind of wrap it up today. If someone's interested in sharing their story, how might they go about getting involved with your project? All they have to do is go to the website and uh, click on the contact link, and it, it'll take them to a little form that is essentially, you know, what's your name, how old are you, uh, where are you from, and tell me a little bit about your story. I um, the only the only kind of screener I have, I guess, is that I would like for the person to be a year out from their attempt. Um, just in safety, safety is important, and I think time helps us be a little safer and helps give us more perspective. So that's the only thing. Otherwise, if you are willing to sit in a room with me and tell me, I will be there. Um, and that's worked pretty well in the past. So yeah, if anyone's interested in sharing their story, just get in touch. Excellent. Well, again, thanks for your time today, Des, and again, thanks for your courage to talk about this topic and to give other folks a platform to share their stories and their experiences as well. Any closing uh, remarks for today? Oh, God, I got nothing. <laughs> That's okay. I think you've, you've given us a lot to sort of uh, soak in and think about, and hopefully uh, some of our listeners will go onto your page, uh, livethroughthis.org, and, and check out some of the portraits and stories online. So that'll wrap it up for today, folks. Uh, we appreciate you for joining us. Again, you can learn more about Desiree and all of her exciting projects uh, by the links accompanying the podcast. Uh, we really encourage you to reach out to us if you have any comments or questions about this work or just thoughts you want to share. Um, take a minute to subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends. Until next time, join us for more interviews on important work going on in suicide prevention.